Welcome to the Key Beauty Podcast, a love letter to all things Key Beauty, hosted by me, Ulrike, from Sugar Peaches Loves, a German and English beauty blog dedicated to beauty products from around the world, with a special passion for Asian and indie brands. I'm back. Hey, <laughs> this is awkward. Did you miss me? Listen, these are some weird and horrifying times. And in all honesty, 2020 has just been one giant pile of garbage. Also, 2021 so far hasn't been all that much better in my opinion. So let's chat about something we can all agree makes this garbage pile year a lot more bearable. K-beauty! You know, since it's been quite a big controversy, I will have to dive into the whole Korean sunscreen issue that's been shaking up our usually so calm skincare community. So let's go! Hi! <laughs> it feels kind of awkward going back to this after such a long hiatus, but um, I just I just felt the urge to record and I hope this recording will actually work out because my microphone for some reason suddenly doesn't work well anymore. You know, sometimes I feel like the universe doesn't want me to uh, have a podcast because whenever I try to record something bizarre happens. I don't know what that's about, but you know what? I'm just going to record this and <laughs> maybe no one will ever hear it. Or this is what you get to hear. Um, this is basically a 50-50 kind of moment. But the thing is, I think either way, it will be good for me to get back into recording. So yeah, I'm back for now. <laughs> I can't promise that I'm going to be super regularly posting now, but I really, really felt the urge to get back into podcasting. So much has been happening in K-Beauty and I have so many products that I want to talk about. And also, yeah, we do kind of need to uh, talk about the whole Korean sunscreen thing that I just wanted to connect with you in this way. So let's just not talk too much about last year. We all know there's been a big pandemic going on. Uh, I'm here in Germany and it's been a mess. <laughs> It's been a hot mess. It's funny because, not funny, haha, uh -huh, Germany did really well in the beginning. The first lockdown that we had was in March. Everyone worked together. Everyone was respectful of the rules. And I just had a really strong sense of support and community. People organized groups to help older people do their shopping and stay safely at home. And I don't know, there was a, there was a really good vibe back in the first lockdown. I almost look back fondly at it because now we are in I think our third lockdown I mean I never stopped quarantining or self-distancing but other people really lived it up during the summer 2020 which is why we got a huge second wave and I mean by huge I mean it was like five times bigger than the first one that caused a much more strict lockdown but yeah this the second or third or how many lockdowns it's been now has not been going so well people have become very selfish we of course ha also have COVID deniers there's a group of COVID deniers here in my city that does like a big demonstration every week. They've stopped now, I think. I think they've given up. <laughs> at this point. But for a while, every Monday night, they would always drive in circles around my house for half an hour and just be super loud. They had loudspeakers. It would go like, vaccines kill people. <laughs> I don't know, whatever else. But I've heard good things about my city. Apparently they were throwing eggs at them and <laughs> cussing them out. <laughs> Overall, my city did quite well compared to other cities in Germany. But we're just all very tired. We're all very tired. I have been very, very lucky in that I didn't get COVID. No one that I love got COVID. I don't know anyone at all, actually, in my circle of acquaintances or in my family that had COVID. We've all been very, very careful. It's just been very lonely, you know. <laughs> just I mean I'm lonely anyway because I haven't really managed to find a social circle back here in Germany when I moved back from New Zealand I had so many friends in New Zealand but yeah it is what it is so I live a quite an isolated life anyway but it is still different I'm also an introvert but I don't know how you feel if you're an introvert. Being an introvert doesn't mean you like to be locked up and <laughs> forced to never, ever go outside. Because I actually quite like, you know, just sitting in a cafe by myself and knowing and feeling the vibe of other people around me. That already fulfills me when I feel lonely or isolated. But this, this, these are all the things you can't do anymore. Or just go to a shop and window shop and just, again, connect socially with people around you, even if they're 
by strangers, all of that just is gone. And I got a bit sick of extroverts being overly dramatic about how hard it is on them. It's hard on everyone. It's hard on introverts too. It's not like introverts, you might be an extreme introvert, but most introverts still like to have some form of social interaction once in a while. It's just that they can't do it all the time. But to not have it at all for over a year, that's hard on, I would say, pretty much everyone. And it's been it's been hard. It's also been hard financially. It's been hard on my freelancing. It's not been easy. And that's pretty much the main reason why I didn't bring out a podcast because I was really struggling and still struggle. For me, as I said in the beginning of the podcast, 2021 so far has been worse <laughs> personally, just on a personal level. So I don't quite know how to deal with that. The pandemic is not an excuse for any of the other stuff that's been going on uh, especially in terms of my career but that's neither here nor there <laughs> it's not your concern just wanted to give a little update why I haven't been podcasting and also why I'm really not sure how far I will go with the podcast right now just felt like doing an episode but also really can't commit to more episodes especially if my mic keeps acting up I don't know what that's about I cannot buy a new microphone <laughs> It's impossible right now. Certainly not a fancy one. So uh, it depends a bit on that as well, on my equipment at the moment. But we'll see. For now, I really just want to talk about K-Beauty. And I miss talking about K-Beauty. I do it, of course, on my blog. I write about it. I now also freelance for Belcalista and write about all sorts of lifestyle stuff. I have discovered TikTok for myself as an endless resource <laughs> for new weird lifestyle trends that I can now write about. I feel a little bit like a a Gen Z researcher. Um, they're very different from my generation, Gen X, that's for, for sure. It's weird because I'm Gen X, but I do still feel emotionally most connected to millennials. I was born in 1979, so I'm almost a millennial. And because I'm always later than everyone else with all the life stages, I mean, I still live in a tiny apartment and have no children and no partner at 42. So in many ways, I feel more like a millennial. <laughs> but I, I also can see quite a bit of connection between Gen X and Gen Z. It's it's very interesting what what happens on TikTok, which is Gen Z dominated. And I learn a lot from the younger generation. And also, it really is an endless opportunity to write about funny, quirky, but also just very interesting stuff that's happening in the Gen Z world. I wrote an article about, what was the last thing I wrote about? Dark and light academia and cottage core and royal core. And I've been seeing stuff on shifting, which is, that's why. I don't even know how I would write about that. Just search shifting in Hogwarts if you don't know what this is about. Your mind will be blown. Gen Z is out there. And I actually kind of respect and admire that. Okay, now, before I dive into the more fun part of the podcast, which is just talking about new stuff on my vanity and new stuff that I really want to try out, we kind of do have to talk about, you know, address the elephant in the room that is the Korean sunscreen controversy. I feel quite reluctant to talk about this because honestly far smarter and better educated people than me have already said everything there is to say about it and I personally am really sick of the sort of people that just rehash and copy and summarize the original research of these smart people who've put in all the work and the effort and then they get more views from their much more clickbaity and amateur videos. There is a guy called Mad About Skin who who does this all the time and he gets more views than someone like Odile Monod who did the OG perfect sunscreen explanation video and who is an actual person from the industry who knows what she's talking about. It just makes me sad that people who are the real talents often don't get recognized because they're just not as flashy and they don't use clickbaity titles or you know those clickbaity thumbnails where someone has a shocked face and crosses out Korean sunscreens and then makes sort of semi uh, racist remarks about how we can't trust Korean sunscreens. So because I will probably rehash a lot of original research and I feel 
I feel bad about that. And I don't want you to just listen to me, but actually give your views and your follows and your listens to the people who worked really hard to provide us with the information that we are all just repeating because it was already perfectly articulated. So I really ask you to please watch the videos by Lab Muffin on the whole sunscreen thing. Hers is very scientific and she really dives into the general problems behind SPF testing, the worldwide problems that don't just affect Korean sunscreens. It's a very important background information video that you really should give your views. And then, of course, as I already said, the video by Odile Monod, who is, I guess, an Instagram friend by now. <laughs> I really, really respect her. I love her channel. It's still, I don't know why she doesn't have more subscribers. I think because she's really low-key and really classy. And as I said, people prefer flashy and clickbaity, I guess. I'll link all of her stuff and Lab Muffin stuff, of course, in the episode notes on my blog. So make sure to check that out. She did the ultimate video on sunscreens because she actually is the only one who really figured out why this happened. Everyone else just speculated or made some grand, unfounded guesses about, you know, oh, it was a mixture of the sunscreen filters. A lot of people blamed the authorities, the regulatory authorities in Korea, or Blanket just said, oh, you know, Asian sunscreens are just not safe, which is racist and, and xenophobic and nonsense. But Udil actually, actually figured out what exactly happened. So do watch her video. It's quite long, but it is so, so well done. And she really put in so much work. All right, let's get into the time timeline of the scandal or controversy, however you want to call it. It all started in October 2020, I think, or roughly October, November. And it started with a post by Inky Decoder, which is a website. They also have an Instagram and it was an Instagram post that kind of started the whole thing because it got shared and reshared like wildfire. So Inky Decoder is a website that does pretty much what it says. It decodes your uh, Inky list, which is the ingredient list, basically. So they have a database with all sorts of products, lots of them Korean products as well, where they list the entire ingredient list and then also explain what those ingredients are. And they do it without any fear mongering. It's just science-based, no nonsense. I actually know the person behind the site. It is Judith from Hungary, who also is the founder of Geek and Gorgeous. And you know how much I love that skincare brand. She got a lot of fire for this whole thing and it made me really angry because a lot of people a lot of people made very wrong assumptions about her um, she's a really kind person she's a really humble person she's not shady and her brand does not need any shady marketing so there was nothing that had nothing to do with what she did anyway so Inky Dakota did a post. Again, I think it was end of October. I forgot to actually double check. Also in the midst of the pandemic when everyone was kind of bored. I think that kind of had an impact as well on the whole thing, I would say. And what they wrote was, Hi, this is Inky Dakota. We would like to talk about the Purito Centella Unscented Sunscreen. I think it's called Green Level Unscented. Doesn't matter. It doesn't exist anymore. But it was the sunscreen that almost every single skin influencer just always raved about. Everyone loved the sunscreen because it was one of the few ones that was alcohol and fragrance free. And as we all know, people like Hiram just are obsessed with not having any fragrance and not having any alcohol. I always think it's a little bit over the top. But anyway, it was one of the few ones that had an elegant formula. It felt like a lotion. It felt like a simple moisturizer. It was pretty much... I think pretty much oil-free, so it worked really well for younger skin, for oily skin, and most of Hiram's and James Welsh's and all of these skin influences uh, fan base is quite young, so they really like the product. And again, alcohol and essential oil and fragrance-free, so it was the darling, the sunscreen darling for everyone. I've never tried it. And I've said this throughout the entire controversy that I really am pretty neutral about Purito. You know that I there are many products that I do not like about from this brand because they have been on the misbehave list quite a lot of times on this podcast. So Inky Decoder, 
basically had their doubts about the sunscreen for quite a while. Geek and Gorgeous has been working with a sunscreen formulator because they do actually plan to bring out a sunscreen, but they, they still haven't brought it out. So again, there were people that were speculating, oh, it's because they want to, you know, cancel out any competition, but like they haven't even brought out their product. It's been almost half a year or longer. So calm down. <laughs> it's uh, nothing to do with that. But in learning more and more about sunscreen formulations, they actually started suspecting, hmm, it's just kind of weird that there's this super elegant, basically just feels like a regular moisturizer formula, but it's supposed to have a high SPF of 50 plus and PA, I'm pretty sure it was quadruple plus, so high UVA protection as well. Because it's almost impossible to formulate, especially alcohol-free, so you don't have any solvent, uh, strong solvent for those filters to dissolve into the formula to make it more cosmetically elegant. You don't even have that. And yet it just feels amazing. And Judith basically thought, hmm, I'm not quite sure how they can do that. Also because they're a really small brand who actually, the brand is not even that popular in Korea, fun fact. It's mostly selling overseas. So she was just kind of suspicious. And <laughs> being the person that she is, and she's just very scientifically curious, she decided to actually put in some extra money of her own and did two lab tests in Europe. I think one of was in Germany and one in Poland, from what I remember. She did both in vivo and in vitro, so on people and also in a lab dish and did all sorts of testings. And what came out with both tests was that the SPF was only between, I think it was something around 18 and 28. And that's what the posted as a result in October and then everyone went crazy. <laughs> you cannot even imagine. If this all flew by you, it's hard to even express how big this was. Again, I think it's connected with the fact that we didn't have anything to do. So we had time for a lot of drama. And personally, I'm starting to get really tired of people who thrive of drama within a community that is focused on skincare, because I just think it should be a place where drama really doesn't need to feature as highly as it has these past months. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. The thing was... <laughs> that Purita doesn't make his own, their own sunscreen. The sunscreen is made by a large manufacturer. And that manufacturer also made a lot of other sunscreens with a very similar formula. That's when it got really insane. Because now everyone was suspecting everyone and brands were starting to at first deny. Some were really smug about it, looking at you here, Crave Beauty, because they posted they're super, super certain about their formula and they certainly do trust their beach shields. <clears throat> and um, Claire's, Claire's actually, I think Claire's reacted really well because they instantly went, oh, okay, well, we're going to test our formula now because yikes, because they were very, very close to the Purito formula and they were the same manufacturer as well. So some brands reacted really well. Some were weirdly smug about being certain that this couldn't be their product. Some were super defensive, keep cool. They're um, what was it called? Bamboo shield, bamboo shield, something lotion. They actually went so far as to threaten to sue certain influencers who said something about the formula. It just, it was mayhem. <laughs> it was, it was carnage. It was crazy. And a lot of people reacted very dramatically saying that their skin is not destroyed and they trusted Purito. And oh God, I mean, it was crazy. Again, I think some people just thrived off the drama a little bit too much from my point of view. Listen, my mom had skin cancer twice. I understand being scared because my mom was in hospital when I was two or three for almost a year on and off. So I know what skin cancer means. But most people, I still think, overreacted a little bit. Which sunscreens were affected? As I've said, it was the Purito Centella Unscented, green level Centella Unscented sunscreen with SPF 50 plus and it is now out of stock it has been for a long time and then the Crave Beat Shield guess what <laughs> also did pass testing after whether they were so adamant that this wouldn't happen to them and the Claire's UV Essence which I loved so I was very sad about that but I didn't you know 
didn't get too dramatic over it. I just kind of used it up during winter and that was that. And also their midday blue shield. And then the Keep Cool Soothe Bamboo Sun Essence. The Bee Lab I Am Sorry Just Sun Cream, which was also very popular actually. The Bee Plain Clean Ocean Sunscreens. There were two from what I remember. And the Round Lab Sunscreens as well. Round Lab was another brand that reacted really fast to the whole thing. They were quiet about it, so it's not as if they gave some public apology. But because Round Lab is very popular in Korea, I kind of feel they were faster to react because they worried about the Koreans also starting to freak out about this. Because this at first was just an international thing. Within Korea for a long time, people didn't even know this was going on until a couple of Korean journalists picked up on it. But this was solely fought on the, the turf of the international skincare community for a long time, actually, until the end of the of 2020, I would say. And Round Lab took their sunscreens off the market and has now reformulated their birch sunscreen, birch sap, birch lotion, something like that. I've written it down somewhere, but I just can't access my notes right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll double check. I have a couple of recommendations as well for sunscreens that are no past retesting. So we get to that in a moment. So Roundlab reformulated the birch sunscreen and it is now confirmed to actually be a safe option. So they maybe weren't as open in, and transparent in their communication. They just kind of took it off the market, reformulated it without saying much. But at least they acted fast, you know, and at least they didn't aggressively threaten people. <laughs> Again, looking at you, you keep cool or boast about that this doesn't affect them when in fact it did. Looking at you here, Crave Beauty. Crave Beauty also for a really long time pretended that they only took Beat Shield off the market because of supposed repackaging, when in fact they were already suspecting that Beat Shield actually did not have the promised SPF. And then when people ask, oh, should we, should we still use the Crave Beat Shield? Crave would always say, oh yeah, it's safe to use. <sighs> Which I find a little bit misleading because, of course, it's safe. It's not poisonous. But the question of these people was, of course, should I keep using it? As in, is it going to protect me from the sun? It had only an SPF of, well, we don't know for sure because uh, Crave refuses to release the uh, results. Unlike Claire's, who very transparently communicated the results of their sunscreens and they were really bad. It was something like 15, I think. <laughs> it was pretty bad. I'll see that I link the responses from the brands as far as I can find them in the episode notes. I think Claire's was really good. It wasn't perfect, but I think it was one of the best ones. Claire's and Purito, I think they were very honest and I think that they at least admitted to their faults and tried to do better. And sometimes I wonder what more can you ask for as a consumer, please? Yeah, so basically it was all a big mess. Oh yeah, I forgot one other one that also didn't pass the retesting and now isn't available anymore. That's the Dr. Suricle Regen sunscreen, which apparently also was very nice. So all of the nice lotion-y, feels just like a normal regular essence or moisturizer, all of these didn't pass. <laughs> Which made a lot of people very cynical about cosmetically elegant sunscreens, but they do still exist. It's all good. Now, what exactly happened? How did this happen? What was the thing that caused all of these sunscreens to be basically a lie? And what? The brands didn't pick up on this at all? How is that possible? The regulatory bodies in Korea didn't pick up on it? Oh my god, are all Korean sunscreens now unsafe? Is all of Korean beauty just a big lie? Should we only use European and what were the other ones everyone says are so safe? Oh, Australian sunscreens now, which are usually pretty terrible in terms of texture. What's the deal here? Now again, the person I most refer to is Odile Monod, who was the one who actually very painstakingly researched and talked to industry experts and has all the Korean resources and sources as well. She is the one who really found out what happened. So please watch her video because I want her to get all the views. And you should also subscribe to her channel because it's amazing. But just to summarize here, because sometimes it's easier to hear the summary, this is basically what happened and why this big scandal unfolded. So in Korea, I think pretty much in the rest of the world as well, but certainly in Korea. If you're a brand and you want to bring out a new sunscreen, you have three ways of doing this. 
First of all, and this is the most expensive and most exclusive way to do it, you can formulate your product, your sunscreen or any other product really, in-house. So usually only very large brand conglomerates can do that, you know, Amora Pacific, the LG group. Brands who really have the infrastructure and the money to do the entire process of creating a product just within their own factories, their own owned labs, their researchers that they have hired, you know, not many brands can do this. It's very, very expensive. But the good thing about it is, of course, that you have full control and you can really oversee the entire process. And you also keep all the intellectual rights to the thing that you create, the formula itself, and can do with that whatever you want and can prevent industry rivals to use a similar formula as a a sort of stepping stone to create their own thing. So that's the in-house way to do it. The second way is to use a so-called OEM or work with an OEM, which is an original equipment manufacturer. So in this case, the brand does create the formula. So they come up with the research with what they want in the formula. They have to create samples and try it out and figure out how to work on the formula, but they don't have the actual equipment to create the formula. So it's kind of a 50-50, I guess. Well, I guess the OEM does a little bit more because they create the whole thing. But the good thing about this version is that you, again, actually keep the property, the intellectual property rights to the formula because you created it by yourself. So that's the OEM version, the OEM method of production. The third one, that's usually the option the smaller brands go for, is that you use a so-called ODM, an original design manufacturer. In this case, the brand outsources both the creation of the formula and the entire production process. So that also means that the ODM the original design manufacturer, keeps the rights of the formula that is created. And that also means, and here you see why this happened to so many brands with so many seemingly different sunscreens, that means that this ODM can then reuse and resell that type of formula to other brands as well. Now, what this also means is that compared especially to the in-house process, you as a brand have very little possibility to control the production process of the whole thing, right? It's kind of, I mean, I guess they keep you updated and you probably get samples and you can, you know, as a customer of the ODM, you certainly have a right to speak your mind and things like that. But you have to rely pretty heavily on what the manufacturer tells you, right? Because you're not creating the thing yourself and you might not even have the know-how when it comes to creating the formula. This is like Hiram now working with the Inkey list. He's not the one creating the stuff. The Inkey list is creating it. So he has to kind of rely on what they tell him about whatever is being created. So that's the first part of what you need to know about this. There are three ways to produce a product in Korea. Again, I'm pretty sure it's the same everywhere across the world. You do it in-house, you do it with an OEM, so you create the formula, but have someone else manufacture it, or you do it with an ODM, in which case the manufacturer creates the formula for you and manufactures it. So he creates everything and you just put your label on it and then market it. The other thing we need to talk about, again, watch Odile's video because she explains it all much better than me. (laughs) Please, if you listen to this, watch her video, click on my episode notes, watch her video and leave a comment that I sent you. Please, I beg you. It would make me so happy. I'm going to double check after a week or so after this podcast comes out to see if someone has done it. That would make me so happy. (laughs) And subscribe to her. Um, The other thing we need to talk about is how cosmetics are regulated. So basically, there are two types of cosmetics in Korea. So-called general cosmetics and functional cosmetics. Functional cosmetics are more stringently regulated and they need so-called pre-market approval. The regulatory body that oversees the pre-market approval is the Korean Ministry of Food and Drug Safety, usually referred to as the MFDS. Sometimes people also call them the KFDA, I guess to to show that they're like the, the Korean version of the US FDA, but the actual name is the MFDS. Now, what are functional cosmetics? It's kind of in the name, right? They have some form of function. For instance, anti-aging. So if you bring out a brightening essence, 
a skin brightening essence. You have to actually prove to the regulatory authorities that your product actually does brighten skin. And for that, you have to do some testing. So any cosmetics that claim to have a specific function, the brand actually needs to prove that this function is actually performed by the product or else you don't get that pre-market approval. So for an SPF, of course, you have to, for a sunscreen product, you have to prove that it protects the skin from the sun. Also, when you have claims such as water resistance or sweat proof, you also have to test that. Now, who performs these tests? No, it's not actually the MFDS itself. This is quite important here. It is, in fact, a number of institutes or testing facilities that have been pre-approved, that have been certified by the government that they are able to perform these tests. So the tests have been outsourced, but they have been outsourced to labs and laboratories and institutes that have been proven to be uh, reliable. So the MFDS itself does not do any testing, which is actually quite common. It's quite common in other countries as well. I'm pretty sure from what I remember that it's the same in the EU. That you, the EU, I forgot what it was, what it's called, the EU regulatory body for cosmetics. I don't remember. But they also don't test. They look at test results for whatever is being submitted. So it's not a career-specific thing. So when a brand wants pre-approval for a functional cosmetics product, they have to submit a dossier with all the information on the product plus the test results that back up whatever functional claim is being made about the product. Now, if you're a brand and you work with an ODM, then the ODM usually is the one to take care of all of those tests. Can you start to see where maybe a few problems are starting to appear? And here's also where Odile bless her for doing all this research, uncovered the actual loophole in this pretty stringent and rigorous pre-approval testing apparatus where this actually, the loophole led to the problem with all of those sunscreens that were affected. And that is the fact that there is one exception to this pre-approval process, and that is... Article 10 of the Cosmetics Act, which is where all of this is regulated. Article 10 states that functional cosmetics are exempt from legal evaluation if they have the same key features of a product that was already approved. So, if a manufacturer has created a specific sunscreen formula, say a sunscreen cream formula, and then uses the same formula, but turns it into, say, a more watery essence or lotion type, then they don't need to go through that pre-approval route again. And there it is. That's, that's basically the loophole. So they created a cream formula that did have SPF 50+, but then they kept diluting it to make it more cosmetically elegant. But by that also diluted the strength of the filters and with that had a lower SPF rating but because they had the pre-approved formula and that exception that states if it's the same type of formula the same base formula which it technically was you don't need to go through the whole process again so they could enter the market with these lower SPF formulas and claim that they were SPF 50 plus ding 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 <laughs> 100 points to a deal for figuring that out or potentially reading the sources who figured it out. I'm actually not sure, but she certainly did all the research for us non-Korean speaking people who wouldn't have been able to figure this out. All of these sunscreens from all of these various brands were actually just created by two manufacturers, by two ODMs who scammed their way to these elegant formulas, these lovely sunscreen formulas that we all loved, knowing full well that they had actually been, I'm saying diluted, I don't know of course what actually happened, but I'm, I'm guessing that's what happened. By turning it into a, a lotion versus a cream, a thicker cream, making it nicer for application, 
you also lowered the contents of the sunscreen filters and have a weaker SPF product. Hi guys, um, this is me, Ulrike, but I'm doing this basically at a later date. So hi, I'm basically from the future. Well, technically from the present, that becomes your past. Never mind, that's not important. I just wanted to chime in because past Ulrike, when she recorded this had not known a couple of extra juicy facts that make the whole sunscreen loophole thing even more absurd. So I watched Director Pai's video on the sunscreen debacle. It's probably the second best video after Odile's video, so I'll absolutely going to link it. She did two videos on this. Only one of them has English subtitles, but for the second one, which is the one that contains like the batshit crazy stuff <laughs> that I'm going to summarize here, I found a summary an English summary on the Reddit Asian Beauty Forum. So thank you to that user who shared the summary in the translation because, oh my God, this is blowing my mind. Okay, I actually talked to Odile about this just a couple of <laughs> minutes ago. And she also will probably share some updates on the whole loophole situation soon. But for now, let me just add here to what I've already or what Pastorik has already told you about that whole Article 10 loophole that was abused by two ODMs. And here's what actually happened. This is, I mean, I'm reading through my notes. I'm just blown away. Okay, so there was an original cream formula, sunscreen cream formula, as we already knew. And that is the one that was pre-approved and then later changed and diluted. It wasn't actually just diluted. Something even crazier happened. So the original cream formula had a confirmed SPF of 89 plus. Now you might actually remember that years before Inky Decoder dropped that bomb on us over the Purito sunscreen, there were actually quite a few people already who had suspected that it wasn't actually SPF 50 plus. And Purito had to address this a couple of times already. And whenever they did, they actually posted a copy of a test, of a sunscreen test. And that sunscreen test page, I vividly remember, it always showed an SPF of 89 plus. So the test results that they had, they were for that cream formula. So here's the thing about that original cream formula. It contained two chemical sunscreen filters. We already knew this. Uvinol A plus and Tynosorb S. And there was always this debate about maybe they were just not high enough in concentration. They weren't. However, it actually, the whole formula actually, the original formula, also contained one mineral sunscreen filter, titanium dioxide. However, in the original pre-approval documents, the ODM who created the formula kind of smuggled in that mineral filter and did not declare it as the third sunscreen filter, but declared it as a coloring agent. So what they did, and no one can tell me this isn't conscious fraud. Now I'm 100% convinced that they didn't just kind of sneakily did something or maybe kind of didn't notice at first. No, no, no. This is fraud. They got the approved, pre-approved formula with an SPF 89, thanks to using three really strong filters, but then later took out that mineral filter, the titanium dioxide. Now, I don't know how much you know about sunscreen formulation. I'm not an expert, so I'm not 100% certain in what I'm telling you. But from what I remember, those mineral filters are usually powders that are kind of hard to dissolve in a formula, which is why it's really hard to create a mineral sunscreen that is cosmetically elegant, especially if you don't want to add alcohol. And also, of course, it gives you a white cast right? So they took out the mineral sunscreen filter, which made the formula a lot more elegant and a lot more of that sort of nice essence, doesn't leave a white cast, uh, you know, lotion type texture. But also, of course, by doing that, severely downgraded the SPF. However, since they never said, oh, this is one of the filters that we used, they said, oh, that, that little bit of titanium dioxide? Oh, that's just there for coloring. That doesn't change the overall function of the product. Because the functional part of the functional cosmetic that is sunscreen is always the sunscreen filters, right? But they are basically pretending that 
the the physical sunscreen filter isn't actually there for sunscreen for sun absorption for UVA absorption because they do that and because I would say someone who read all the pre-approval testing stuff was sleeping on the job I have to say it those two ODMs just got away with yeah lowering the SPF rating consciously because if you take out a filter, I mean, quelle surprise that this is then not as strong of an SPF as before. But man, it's a much nicer formula, that's for sure. So that is what happened. Just a bit of additional info on how this whole thing came to be and how super shady it is. Now, from what I've heard, the ONEMs that basically did the fraud were fined and it looks like they are changing that article 10 and they are closing that loophole and they're closing it as fast as they can so stuff is happening and again i just want to stress that this happens in every country some really shady shit has gone down here in germany when it comes to eggs we had a sprout like it was organic sprouts for eating Uh, we had a huge scandal there where something was overlooked these things happen all the time however i do have to say (laughs) Now that I know the whole story, I think it's bonkers. It's bonkers that this was allowed to happen. This is crazy. But it could have happened in any country. I'm 100% convinced by that as well. So yeah, that was just me from the future updating you because I got some new info. Okay, back to Pastorica. Bye. And before you get all uh, smug about how stupid this loophole is and you can't believe that this could happen and how stupid is the MFDS, etc. Actually, the loophole has a lot of uses. I again would refer you back to Odile's video where she explains all of this really, really well. Very often it does make sense in order to speed up the production process. We always marvel at how well oiled the whole Korean beauty industry is. Well, one of the reasons is that the MFDS makes it easy for new products to be approved. They still are very, very stringent when it comes to the whole approval, pre-approval process. So don't think that they just throw anything on the market. The loophole was created so that certain formulas, such as, for instance, foundations in different shades, right, can be approved faster. So it makes sense for a lot of types of cosmetics to do this. In the case of the sunscreens, unfortunately, (laughs) a few rottenecks in the industry just blanket and blatantly exploited it. But any continent, any country can have these types of loopholes. To me, what is the shocking part about this is actually how these brands so blindly rely on their ODMs. If I were a brand, a consequence that I would take from this and draw from the whole scandal would be to now always put in some money, some extra money to double check and test the formula for whatever function I need to prove so that I don't get fined later on. Although I also have to say the fines are actually laughably low. (laughs) If the MFDS finds out that a product doesn't actually perform the function that it was pre-approved for, you do get fined and you do get into trouble. But the fine was quite low. Odile talks about it in the video again. Don't want to take away too much of her content. But I still think it's really, really important for us to understand, for us Westerners to understand, that this is not some some negligence on the part of the MFTS. It was a stupid loophole that maybe wasn't thought through properly, but stuff like that happens all the time. Let me tell you about my country, Germany, when it comes to products that have caused scandals (laughs) because they had some severe faults and actually dangerous faults, and yet they slipped through the cracks of the regulatory system. And in our case, it was actually food. It was groceries. We're so some really major stuff happened and it made people sick in some cases. Germany has one of the most strict rule uh, sets of rules when it comes to regulation. I feel very, very safe in my country. I don't really feel ever that I need to be careful when I try anything from a, from a supermarket, be it food or skincare, it doesn't matter. But there are tons of problems. There are product recalls all the time in Germany. They, we had product recalls for, what was the last one I saw it was like uh it was some some baby cereal baby cereal for babies 
stuff for babies. It was like not a cereal, but like a, a mushy, I don't know what to call that. You know, the stuff you feed babies, uh, the first things you feed babies from the from the jar, right? A, a sort of pseudo cereal type that is just pureed, whatever. Um, because something happened in the manufacturing process and some parts got in it that could potentially cause severe problems if you feed it to your baby. It was the product was recalled. They usually hang out some warning signs. They put it online. You can always go on some apps where you can make sure that you don't miss a product recall, etc, etc. But this happens and it happens all the time. We had three really huge scandals in Germany over the last 15 years or so. <laughs> one was kind of, <laughs> one was it's very meme memefied. <laughs> I remember, I remember comedians, comedians had a lot of material from that one. So what basically happened was instead of beef, a frozen meals company had used horse meat instead of beef in some of their products. So they basically cheaply bought horse meat from Eastern Europe and managed to somehow import it. I don't know how they managed. The whole thing was a mess. Imported the horse meat and then used it for lasagna and some other meat dishes that were like Aldi frozen meals, really cheap frozen meals. And it took quite a while for people to notice. And then it was like this huge scandal because again, kind of like with those ODMs in Korea, it was one company that produced all these cheap meals for a variety of supermarkets. So this hit a lot of those discount budget supermarkets because it was really cheap and cheerful sort of meals but the lasagna thing <laughs> it just became this huge thing in Germany this meme that just you could still ask people today about it and they will remember the the horse meat lasagna and I mean it's funny on the one hand but on the other hand it's a huge scandal of course because people need to know what sort of meat they're eating and what sort of product they're eating and of course it was all connected to this idea that meat shouldn't actually be cheap we need to work on meat production as a safer place. We also had a huge scandal during COVID that a lot of meat manufacturing plants didn't take care of the staff well enough because they were cheap laborers from, again, Romania, especially from Eastern Europe, because they're cheaper. They usually work for cheaper pay. And a lot of them got COVID. And it was just, you know, you always think we're so much better here in the West and we're so much safer in how we do things. And I've seen a lot of racist and anti-Asian sentiments hidden in the way that people almost gleefully gleefully talked about the Korean sunscreen scandal saying things like oh I always knew I can only trust my European sunscreens they're the only safe ones of course those Korean sunscreens they were way too good of course of course how would a Korean small Korean brand be able to have such a good sunscreen when L'Oreal doesn't manage well guess what because those ODMs produce sunscreens not those two that messed up but <laughs> a lot of the really good manufacturers produce a lot of western stuff that's why why they are so good because they are some of the best in the world and they can compete and they have competed with someone like L'Oreal. Guess what? Amore Pacific is just as huge as L'Oreal. So your Eurocentric view of the beauty world makes people in China or Korea and Japan just laugh because they know their stuff too. It's not just Europeans and Americans who invent amazing formulas. This is why we all love Korean beauty. So you might ask yourself now, of course, well, what can I do? Well, who can I even still trust? What? How will I ever be able to, to protect myself from the sun when all these companies are lying? Well, first of all, again, it was only two. But I understand your trust is shaken up. Now, the first thing you unfortunately have to accept and understand is that given the irregularities when it comes to sunscreen approval around the world and also the unreliability, <laughs> to be honest, when it comes to the SPF testing, I was actually surprised how strange it is and how many problems there are with the testing procedures ultimately you cannot rely on sunscreen alone if you really really want to protect yourself you have to stay out of the sun when it's very strong you have to put on protective gear you have to wear your hat i don't have a hat i realized so uh, this is one of my missions when i have money again to buy some proper sunglasses to buy some proper hats to remember to cover up what, what was the the australians ever saying something like slurp 
slip, slap, slop. No, was <laughs> it cover and slap on sunscreen, something like that. But they always, I remember this from New Zealand as well. The main rule is actually A, to stay out of the sun while it's the strongest during the day. And also when you're outside, when you're at the beach, you cover up. You don't wear your skimpy bikini, but you usually wear some sort of UV protection shirt, even when you're in the water, because the water reflects back the UV rays. So actually being in the water is where you get the most sunlight and UV harm things like that we just have to remember that and as lab muffin says any sunscreen is better than no sunscreen any sunscreen even the one that might not have spf 50 but spf 25 so apply a sunscreen take a deep breath remember to cover up but also i would say as someone a little bit older and again i can say this as someone who also has a mother who nearly died of skin cancer sometimes we just have to live with the risk of life everything gives you cancer i also know that most people if they're honest are more scared of aging and getting wrinkles then of the skin cancer, if you're absolutely honest. And honestly, <laughs> aging is a privilege. So if the main thing that you're terrified of while using your SPF is still getting wrinkles, guess what, sweetie, you will get wrinkles. You will. It's a fact of life. You cannot protect yourself forever from wrinkles. You might get them later. At some point, we all age. And Thank the Lord for that, if you believe in the Lord. <laughs> Otherwise, thank the universe or, or your genetics for staying alive long enough to go through the aging process, because a lot of people don't. So just accept the fact that you will never be fully safe and you will never be able to fully rely on a sunscreen alone. It is what it is. And I actually feel I was quite heartened by the fact that so many Korean brands did take this all seriously and did react very fast and did not sweep it under the rug. And I also think it's good that we now know which brands do sweep things like that under the rug because now we don't have to support them anymore. And thankfully, it looks like all the newer sunscreens that are slowly coming out now all are very aware of what happened. A lot of the brands have now independently tested them to make sure that we know that they are safe. A lot of brands have reacted and added new sunscreen filters. Uh, newer sunscreens now actually use instead of two often three filters and things like that so the brands have reacted and the manufacturers have reacted and i actually think that's a good thing what should you look for when you now look for an spf that is trustworthy again we can never be fully sure but we can actually take a few precautions to make sure that it probably is a trustworthy sunscreen first thing you can do is to actually look at who produced and manufactured the sunscreen. For now, it looks like those sunscreens that are produced in-house by the big name brand conglomerates, such as Amora Pacific and LG, those usually seem to be safe. The ones that were retested always came out safe. And again, as long as something is manufactured in-house, usually the brand has more power to actually maintain the quality of this. So that's a good thing to do. Unfortunately, a lot of them are usually a bit more expensive. <sighs> But what can you do? The other thing you can do is if a sunscreen is produced by an ODM, there are certain ODMs that are known to be specialists when it comes to producing sunscreens. One of the big name ones is Colma Korea. All of the sunscreens that were retested and past retesting with flying colors, all of them were Colma produced. So I now actually always look at the label and check if it's a Colmar one. And then I go, ah, okay, you know what? That one's probably safe. Now, if you don't know where to see what ODM produced a product from a brand. In Korea, there's actually a rule that the brands have to put the original manufacturer on the packaging. And also, if you go to Olive Young Global, in their product description, they always also add the manufacturer in English. Also, if... The manufacturer is written in Korea on the box. You can get the Google Translate app on your phone. And the Google Translate app actually has a photo translation function. So you can hold that app over the box and it will automatically translate for you. Now, how neat is that? And of course, I would not leave you alone when it comes to some approved and retested and safe, definitely SPF 50 
sunscreen options that I have sort of compiled. So some of the ones that were safe or still are safe are, for instance, the new and reformulated Round Lab Birch Moisture Sun Cream with SPF 50 and PA Quadruple Plus. The Round Lab, the first one, as I said, was taken off the market. Round Lab has reformulated it and it was manufactured by Colmar Korea. So ding, ding, ding. <laughs> that one is safe. And again, it was retested by Insuk An, actually. She has a YouTube channel and she is one of the CEO of one of those testing facilities it was i think it's called institute of dermatology or something like that so she actually does the testing for this pre-approval rating system and marketing pre-approval market system for the mfds and she retested a couple of sunscreens the round lab one is one of the ones that passed with flying colors another one that was also retested and passed is the dalba waterfall essence with spf 50 plus and pa quadruple plus Again, this one's manufactured by Colma Korea. One that was also retested by Insuk An was the Make PRAM UV Defense Me Calming Tone Up Sun Cream. Why do they always have these long names? SPF 50 plus, PA quadruple plus. Manufactured by Colmar. <laughs> um, now this one is a tone-up cream, so it also uses physical filters. That probably means it won't work for uh, darker skin tones because it usually is. Tone-up always means it's supposed to brighten the skin, but usually it just kind of gives it a white cast. <laughs> which Koreans like, but it really only works if you're already pale. The next one that also passed is the Dr. G Medi, Medi UV Ultra Sun SPF 50 Plus PA Triple Plus. Now this one I find quite interesting because apparently it is the number one sunscreen among the South Korean military. So those guys are certainly in the sun for a long time. So if it works for them, right? And then one that is very, very popular apparently in Korea, it's quite expensive though, but I'm, I'm super keen to try it, is the Iopair UV Shield Sun Protector XP with SPF 50 plus and PA quadruple plus. Iopay is an Armore Pacific brand, so it was probably produced in-house. I didn't actually double check, but again, it was tested by Insuk An and again, it passed. So it also seems to have a very nice texture. So this one I'm really keen on. And then a very new one, I think it just came out, is the Hiji or Hiki Real Sun Cream with SPF 50 plus and PA quadruple plus. Now, one thing I find quite hilarious about this sunscreen is that it's called a real sun cream. So are the other ones not real? I mean, I, I guess the brand wants to cover up that they also had another uh, pre- uh, version to this one that did not pass the testing and I'm pretty sure that Hiji never really talked about this they just kind of quietly took that one off the market but anyway Style Korean has made a big post and a big thing about how this new one the Hiji Real Sun Cream was tested and the SPF was confirmed so I'm just going to believe Style Korean here and um, say that this one's probably safe. And then the last one is the Neogen Dermol Dermology Daylight Protection Eerie Sunscreen with SPF 50. Now this one is quite interesting because it actually was tested and approved via the FDA route. So this one was specifically formulated to be approved in the US. So you guys from the US, I know you always have trouble finding good sunscreens. This could be a good one to look out for. Now their older version, which is the non-airy version, I think it's just called Daylight Protection Sunscreen, without the airy part, that one I believe is still being tested and Neogen has said that they will release the uh, test results. So we'll see about that one. Now another sunscreen where I don't know if they have ever been tested and reconfirmed to be SPF 50, but I still feel pretty certain they will be okay because they were also manufactured by Colmar, are the two Isntree sunscreens from the hyaluronic acid line. I've tried one of them, their physical sunscreen, and that one is really, really good, actually. I forgot what it was called, something like sunblock, I think. I'll add it all in my episode lists if, you, <laughs> if you're interested. And then they also have one that everyone at the moment raves about. It's called the hyaluronic acid watery sun gel with SPF 50 plus and PA quadruple plus. This one, manufactured by Colmar, also apparently amazing texture, so I'm very keen on that one. Knowing isn't tree without having looked at the ingredients, I'm also pretty sure it will be fragrance-free, probably even alcohol-free. So that might be a good one to watch out for. Um, hi, me again. 
the the Eureka from the uh, future that is my current present and is now our shared past, I guess. Again, because I watched those Director Pai videos, I just wanted to add two sunscreen recommendations here that Pastor Rika couldn't have known about that I just found out about that sound really, really good. Director Pai has a whole video on sunscreens that are just coming out now. She made doubly sure that they had been tested. She also asked for the testing results from the brand. So I would say most of these, pretty much all of these should be safe. And the two that I find really interesting interesting that I want to add to my recommendations is number one, the Cynic Enjoy Super Mild Sun Essence with SPF 50 plus PA quadruple plus. This has, according to Director Pai, pretty much the highest SPF and especially PA rating from all the sunscreens that she recommended or talks about in her video. And also it's really cheap. It's like eight bucks at the moment on Olive Young. So this one sounds amazing. The texture, dare I say it, without raising suspicions. It looks a lot like the Claire's UV Essence, but again, seems to be the actual SPF. <laughs> so uh, they use, I think, more than two filters. I think it was three or four even. This is a chemical sunscreen and it looks like it might be white cast free. This might be a good one for darker skin tones. I haven't tested it out yet. I just saw the video and sort of she showed the texture a little bit, but of course on her lighter skin. So I can't confirm 100% and hope some dark skinned influencers maybe will test this one out so that we can see. But overall, the formula looks really good. It does contain ethanol, alcohol. Director Pai says it doesn't, but I checked the ingredients. So I'm confused. Maybe it was upgraded or something. But the formula that I found did contain alcohol. But honestly, it is very hard to get a really elegant sunscreen that is still high protection and not use alcohol so that's kind of a unicorn I would say and this one it's cheap it looks amazing I am very hopeful that this could be a good replacement for the Purito to be honest and then the next one that is super intriguing is the AHC Safe On Light Sun Serum with SPF 50 plus and PA quadruple plus. This has the most unique texture I've ever seen for a sunscreen. It looks like a hydrating serum. It looks like a pink tone-up style watery anti-aging serum but it is a sunscreen and it has SPF 50 plus. I don't know how this magic works but again she said she got the testing results and it was all good so at the moment I wouldn't know why I should mistrust that except that of course we are all now super suspicious whenever an SPF a sunscreen has really high SPF and still looks like a lotion or a cream in this case a serum anyway I'm intrigued this looks fantastic it has anti-aging benefits because AHC is kind of targeted towards mature skin most of the time it uses five sunscreen filters it is a chemical sunscreen it definitely doesn't contain a white cast because it's kind of almost transparent really intriguing and it is sort of it has sort of like a dewy shimmery finish now I'm not sure if this will work well for oily skin I'm also not sure if it's good for reapplication people who've already used it I've asked on uh, Instagram if someone has already used this or has any experience they said it's really hard to reapply because it does get too sort of shiny so it looks like a glazed donut basically <laughs> which you know can look nice but also if you're sweating and you're oily like me in summer I'm not sure it will be a good one for me but I don't really care because I just want to try out what the texture is like <laughs> It's also quite expensive. So there are a couple of obstacles between me and the sunscreen at the moment, but because it's so unique and you have to watch the director pie video if you want to see the texture, then you'll understand. And because also it seems like a really good one for potentially mature skin and also for people who don't really like that sunscreen texture I really want to include it in my recommendations here so yeah those were the two that I wanted to mention here and again back to Pastorica. all right guys this is getting quite long I didn't expect it to be that long so I might just make a break here and maybe do a two-parter because I did want to also talk about products that I've really been loving and not just talk about this whole sunscreen thing that I personally am so tired of so maybe for now I'm just going to take a break and either end the episode here or just gonna come back in a bit after I've had some <sighs> some water and just calm down after getting annoyed with all the sunscreen stuff. Okay, one last word I just wanted to say again. Just because a product from a certain country turns out to be faulty does not give you the right to blanket dismiss 
an entire industry from one country. That is just something I kind of want to end this whole thing with because I've seen some really disturbing comments from fellow white people, but also from a lot of non-whites, to be honest, in regards to Asian skincare and a lot of glee. I see a lot of glee from people saying, ha, I knew it. Those Asians cannot be trusted. And that's racist. In case you didn't know, that is racist. And given what's been happening across the globe these past months, the stuff that the Asian community worldwide had to endure and suffer through, the way they were mistreated and abused... I mean, this is no joke. It might be sunscreens in our case, but this is a global problem. The anti-Asian sentiments that have been happening across the globe, they lead to really, really frightening consequences for anyone who is of Asian descent, for all the Asian immigrants in Western countries. I'll link a couple of interviews and articles that uh, show what's been happening in the US, in Canada, also in Europe. Asian people, especially the elderly, have been targeted. They have been spit on. They have been thrown. People have thrown rocks at them. People have stabbed them. People have shouted and abused them verbally, physically. This is no joke. And we really need to be very careful what we say about a country and what we say about the people in the country and how we use something like the sunscreen scandal to just find a way to justify our racism and xenophobia because it's not justified because again i happen to know that germany at one time sold horse meat lasagna and yet guess what i've never heard anyone claim that german food is not safe there have been scandals around uh, german cars and yet i'm pretty sure people will still say that german cars are superior to most other cars so if you make blanket assumptions about asians about a whole continent or even a whole country just because of this one tiny teeny thing that happened especially given how well most of the brands actually reacted to the whole thing thing then you're racist and you should really reconsider your words because they can hurt people and i personally would really like to see the skincare community to go back to what it used to be before a couple of influencers kind of discovered how much money they can make off scandal which used to be kind of what the makeup community used to do You know, the whole YouTube drama category, usually it was only makeup influences. Now, suddenly skincare is kind of the new niche where people make the most money. And thus, it also attracts a certain type of person, I guess, that just feeds off the drama, as I said in the beginning. And I miss the days when the skincare community was really calm and supportive and lovely and always open to new products and not telling each other, oh, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong. What, you use Korean stuff? We all know it's unsafe. No, it's not. Also, let people have the stuff that makes them happy. We are still living through a pandemic. Let people enjoy their fragranced, alcohol-filled products if it makes them happy. Just be a nice person and... Don't be a racist. I think that's a good good statement to end up on. Please don't be a racist. Also watch Odile's video. <laughs> Bye guys and um, take care, okay? See you soon. Happy masking, layering and pet pet petting. Now you might not like layering, but you know, if you want to, you can layer. Bye. <laughs>